Welcome to the Republican Professor. This morning, we have with us a very special guest, Dr. Haley Gray Scott, PhD. Thank you for joining us today, Dr. Scott. Thanks for having me. In other words, hi, Haley. Hi. Yeah, I like Haley because um, my father-in-law is actually Dr. Scott. Was Dr. Oh, Scott really? Me? So, yeah, and I've never hyphenated my name, but I always put Gray Scott as my last name. Oh, it's okay. So I should have said Dr. Gray Scott. I don't know, but that sounds clunky. So who knows? That's all right. That's good to know. Well, Haley, you uh, run the Christian Curious podcast and radio program. Congratulations. It's now syndicated on the radio, as, as yeah. far as I hear. Yeah. Cool. It is. You're- it's syndicated in Southern, Northern California. I think it reaches all over California and upwards a little bit into Oregon. And then we have the Mountain West and then um, cool. also Dallas. Oh, okay, cool. Um, and uh, what uh, radio station is it on? Do you happen to know in, in L.A.? Um, I don't have that right in front of me. Let's see. It's a, it's on K-Bright. K-Bright? Mm-hmm. Okay. I'll look it up. Uh, what's your website called? It's uh, www.christiancurious.com. Okay. Christian Curious. Now, I guess we got to get this out of the way. The first one is, are, are you a Christian? I am a Christian. Okay. I, okay. Cause I, I'm going to have to fire my virtual assistant because she had Muslim down here. Hold on a sec. So Haley is not a Muslim. No, I'm not a Muslim. Okay. Nothing against being a Muslim. Right. But okay, that that makes actually a lot more sense with your podcast. Okay, because I was curious about that. Okay, Christian, that makes sense. That actually makes sense. (laughs) What's the story behind Christian Curious? So you, first of all, you are a Christian. Mm -hmm. My guess is you're probably curious too. How'd you come up with that name? Um, Well, you know, it started with, you know, I started doing radio when I was 15 years old. And so when I was hired to come alongside as the Young Adults Initiative Director, which is coming a research project funded by the Lilly Endowment to come alongside congregations to figure out how to engage young adults, you know, into the church, because they are the most likely to declare themselves as nuns. Mm. And so in order to get as many applications as possible, Um, As a researcher, I wanted a broad field of applicants, so I went on radio stations and then continually throughout the progress, uh, throughout the program and over the years, I was asked back to give updates and I really wanted to democratize information because sometimes when you're doing research projects, you actually don't get the information until years later and Mm -hmm. radio was my instant availability to do that and eventually they offered me my own radio show and when the how old were you when you got your own radio show i was 42 oh okay you said you've been on the radio since you were 15 right 
Yes. But so that was my natural, whenever I got this job, I already had the, that mindset of a journalism. So gotcha. I went into radio. Okay, cool. Sorry for asking your age. <laughs> no, I'm 44. I'm not ashamed. Well, we'll, we'll have to think about what, what that means. What does ashamed mean? Or what is like, what does 44 mean? What is 44 starting from, mean? from conception or birth <laughs> from birth? Okay. There you go. We might have to talk about that, Haley. Okay. You might've been, you might've actually existed before birth. Well, that's true. Yes, I did. Nine but anyway, before. but that's quite, so 15 years old, how did you, what, tell, what's the story behind that? You got on the radio at 15. I did. I, um, I was, Where was I what was state was this? Texas. Okay. All my exes live uh, in, in Arkansas, which is the next state over. Um, yeah. Well, I was always really interested in writing. I got into writing. Mm. It was my way of dealing with a dysfunctional family. Um, okay. My mom was in, you know, had been in rehab. My parents mm. divorced. And so I was a writer. And so I started, you know, um, as a sophomore year, my writing really took off. I got on the school paper and then I started doing string reporting for the local paper. And then I decided I wanted to do radio. So I applied to um, actually read police reports. So I would come in wow. at night and I would read police reports and read the news stories and things like that. So, you know, getting on air has always really been, you know, appealing to me. Writing was a healing a process for you? Yeah, for, it was my way and, to process. Mm -hmm. There was some pain at home. Oh, definitely. Do you have a big family? Brothers, sisters? Oh, I have a um I have a biological brother who's four years younger than me, and then I have an adopted brother. Um, my dad and my stepmom uh, adopted a child when I was 18. So I have an 18 year old um, a, a brother that's 18 years younger than me. So. Okay. And you have a biological brother who's Tell me again how he's related, older or younger? He's four years younger than me. Four years younger, okay. All right. What part of Texas did you grow up in? I grew up in a little town um, about 40 miles north of Tyler, Texas, and 80 miles east of Dallas um, in the middle of the woods. Um, cool. I actually live five miles outside of a town of 1,400 people. So I, I grew up in serious country. Yeah. And, you know, today it still remains, it looks the same. So that's kind of refreshing given how much, you know, here in Colorado, everything changes every single day, more houses come up, but mm. out there, it kind of stays the same. Oh, so it's serious country. It's yeah. so serious. You didn't even tell us the name of the town. Quitman, Texas. How do you spell it? Q-U-I-T-M-A-N. 
Like quit, man. Oh, wow. Sissy Spacek uh, grew up there. Huh. I think I can hear a similar accent now that I think about it uh, for with yeah. her. But I mean, it's not like I really studied it or anything. Okay. Well, so Matthew McConaughey. Oh, yeah. Was from Longview, which was 40 miles away. No kidding. So every time I hear Matthew McConaughey talk, I get a little homesick. Wow. Uh, was there animals around when you grew up? Rattlesnakes, owls? Please say oh, yeah. owls. Please say owls. Uh, did I say that? I'm oh, sorry. Um, <laughs> deer, raccoons, possums. All of it. You did know, you I, we did go okay. fishing. Okay. My grandfather made me gut a fish one time. That was the first and the last time I ever did that. Um, you know, my dad, we live on a piece of property where my dad, it's a, it's a stretch of several acres and my dad has a house and then my, his sister has a house. And then in between is a little bitty house they built for my grandmother, who's turning 90 this year. And so we all live on that property and growing up, my cousins who lived on the same property as I did, they, they were involved raising cattle and I got very, uh, and then next door was the ag teacher for the high school. And so he had a lot of animals. And so every morning I'd go out, I'd see the cows, I'd see goats and sheep and, you know, all kinds of animals. And I really got fond of them. And so um, there was one time where I asked my family at a barbecue, I said, so where's Daisy at? What happened to Daisy? And they said, she's on your plate. And I'm like, oh, Ooh. wow. I'm like, no. And so from then oh, on, my I, gosh. I, I've not had beef. Um, oh, wow. I quit beef. Um, uh. That almost eliminates me as a Texan. But wow. I'm just like, how can I eat Daisy? I can't eat Daisy. You, you had an emotional attachment to this animal? I did. Well, I had to, emotional attachment to all of them. I was constantly... Um, there was a really bad habit. What was it a da dairy cow or what was it? Uh, no, it was a meat. It was a cow raised for the beef. Okay. So it was cattle. Yeah. Okay. Was it, did, was it just like one cattle? I don't know what the singular of cattle is. I guess it's cow because it depends on if it's a bull or a, a female or a bull, but, but so was it just one that you had and then you named it? No, a, a no, they had. They had a ton of them and you were know, they all named Daisy? <laughs> no, they weren't all named Daisy. Well, how did you know which, that which one was, which that was missing? Um, because I particularly liked this one. Oh, I would okay. go over and visit her just across the fence. There you was like a who, who it was. You, how could you tell the difference? Is it uh, color? The coloring, or? the coloring okay. of the gal is different. Gotcha. Okay. So as soon as you name the animal, <laughs> You can't eat it, basically. Well, some people can. I think that's the rule. Oh, wow. My cousins would name them and then eat them. So they have no problem with that. Um, yeah. I And I, I relate to you. Um, I think that would be tough. I, I think I think that'd be tough. We had chickens <laughs> growing up. 
do I want to say this story? Uh, I don't know. I'll say it. I'll say it really quick. We had chickens growing mm-hmm. up in a little town called Littleton, Colorado. Oh, yeah. Uh, I think I know it's, that town. It's kind of a hick suburb town, uh, a bunch of hicks. Anyway, we had chickens and uh, we had, we, we, you know, we had this attachment to them. We got them for Easter. They were like an Easter kind of a thing. We raised them from chicks. Each one of the four kids got one. My parents, I don't know why they had this crazy idea that they were going to one day kill them and eat them. And we were just all of a sudden going to act like farmers all of a sudden. Mm-hmm. But my brother couldn't handle it. Yeah. I don't think he could handle it. He, he, he was a mess. He was crying. He was a little boy and it was in the garage and we're like, you know, hanging it upside down and the blood's draining out. And, uh, and it's just like, it was so, yeah, my parents didn't think that one through very well because it wasn't a normal thing. Right. I mean, it wasn't right. like, it was like, these were pets and you don't just randomly kill right. your pet and eat it when when there's no starvation happening. You know, I mean, yeah, got it. There's like World War Five happening. Okay, got it. But this was just another day in little yeah. time, right? So the, the grocery stores were open and we didn't have any problem eating meat. You know, it's not like, but, but it, it's the naming issue. As soon as you name it, especially for kids. Right. So I re- I relate. I was, I'm not going to belabor that story. I'm sorry. Daisy got killed. What a traumatic way to find out your fr- your favorite cow got killed. So yeah, you're just honestly. looking at this pile of beef on your plate. Yes, and I was like, nope. So I haven't had beef except for I was pregnant with my first daughter. Um, she's mm-hmm. 13 now. Um, I decided oh, I need a hamburger instead of going to like In-N-Out and getting like, and I hadn't had beef in 20 years. Mm. And so instead of going to In-N-Out and getting like a thin one, I went to Claim Jumpers and got the big massive burger and Mm. I was so sick. And so Mm. I haven't had beef since. Wow. Wow. And my 13 year old is vegetarian too now. So you're vegetarian? Is that how you say I'm pescatarian. Pescatarian. Okay. So I'm mostly vegetarian, but occasionally I feel like I need, you know, as I get older, I feel like I need that extra boost of protein. Um, but I was uh, completely vegetarian for, um, about 15 years. What's a pescatarian again? It's where you only eat fish. Only fish for, okay. So you're not naming the fish, right? Do you have fish pets? No. Oh, yes, we do, but I don't name them. Ah, I wouldn't eat you them. learned. You learned. It's hard. Yeah. With animals. What's your philosophy of animals? Um, you must have a some kind of feeling about animal rights or feeling about uh, how God feels about it. I do. And this is where my husband and I totally disagree. But, you know, if you look in Genesis 6, um, you think of the word dominion and the word dominion in Hebrew actually is more like the word stewardship. Mm-hmm. And in Genesis before the fall, God gave, it says God gave every seed bearing plant for, you know, humans to eat. And so 
it wasn't until the flood when yeah. God said, you can eat meat. And it's not like he enthusiastically says, I am blessing you with the ability to eat meat. He's right. kind of like, you're going to do it anyway. So I'm going to make the animals afraid of you. Mm-hmm. And so it's not, it's sort of like a concession. And so I think that, you know, the bottom line is, is if I can possibly live without meat, then I ought to do so. Because, you know, I asked my husband this question, will there be meat in heaven? And if there is no death in heaven, how could there be meat in heaven? And Mm -hmm. so I'm trying to live into kingdom living by practicing, you know, a mainly vegetarian diet. Mm. But I do believe in, you know, stewarding the earth, stewarding animals. Um, You know, I'm not, I'm pretty middle of the road. I don't try to get, you know, all into the, the far left views on animal rights and environmental rights. And I definitely don't go into the far right where, you know, you're going off into, you know, African safaris and just killing for fun. So, which is what some, you know, seminary presidents have done. Really? Mm -hmm. I didn't know that. There is one uh, former president of a seminary where you would go into his office and his whole office was decorated in animals he had killed on African safaris, Hmm. including an ape. And he had that or a monkey and that monkey was stuffed sitting on a shelf holding Darwin's origin of species. Whoa. Yeah. Is it, you don't have to give the name of the seminary, just the address, just the mailing address. (laughs) Fort Worth, (laughs) Texas. Oh, Gee, I wonder which one it was. <laughs> that's going to be hard yeah. to figure out. Well, that's interesting. How did you come across? Did, were you in that office yourself? You saw it um, yourself or you saw a picture of it? I um, had friends that had gone in there and then I actually interviewed him on one occasion and we discussed it. Hmm. But I was very professional. I just asked him about it. Mm-hmm. It was in the context of asking his opinion about women as well. So you were Christian and you were curious. <laughs> I was Christian and I was curious. I've always been curious. I mean, growing up, my dad would say, Oh my gosh, Haley, you asked so many questions. Oh my gosh, Haley. He never said you asked too many questions. He just mm. said you ask a lot of questions. And then he would say, You think to say many. it like it was a bad thing. No, huh? Oh, he would just be like, I don't know how to answer that question. Um, and so, yeah. Wow. So you were there in this office asking about women too. I I was, I was interviewing him. I interviewed, I did a research. What were you standing and sitting underneath the Ibex or something? No, I did this over the phone. I wasn't on the phone. Okay. I gotcha. Sorry. I missed that part. So you didn't have to actually look at the animals. No, I probably, <laughs> I probably wouldn't have been able to complete the interview. Oh my gosh. You're like, okay, I came here to ask about uh, women and ministry. What the hell is up with the, the ape? Seriously? Really? <laughs> and the leopard on the ground. Oh my gosh. Uh, 
It's odd. It is kind of odd, I think. It is odd. I mean, I grew up hunting, um, fishing, you know. The the view I have about hunting, though, is a lot like the guy that has the show on Netflix. I don't know if you've ever seen it before. It's called Meat Eater. No. You ever watch it? No. It's about a guy. It's a, He's a hunter. He's very philosophical. He, he, he walks you through his thoughts about it. Yeah. He's thought through it. Um, you don't waste anything. You shouldn't waste anything. It should be for consumption. You should think about it, what you're doing, why you're doing it. Um, it's, uh, and have respect for the animal. It's, it sounds a little odd to say it that way, but that's how the Indians thought about it. My, I have right, a very Indian thinking. view about it. Yeah. You know, honoring the sacrifice and honoring, hey, you know, they've given their life to help me survive. Right, right. Yeah. So, um, I mean, now that I brought up Indians, they, they did use the animals for other than consumption. Um, right. they, they did use them for some things that might sound similar to what this uh, seminary president had, um, like uh, pride or, I, I mean, it's probably the wrong word, but, but something like, um, some other social role than just getting food, right. Or just having like a blanket in the cold. Like, for example, eagle feathers, mm-hmm. you know, eagle feathers are still used. Uh, they're clearly not consuming the eagle. It's it, they're using the feathers. They're beautiful. The, right. the, the skin of the animals, beautiful the fox or whatever, you know, it's, it's, uh, the, the beaver pelt, whatever it's, it's functional. It's beautiful. But the eagle feathers, for example, uh, I mean, it's a, it's a symbol of, of, of rank for example, and that, that symbolizes fierceness in battle, which is pride. Yeah. Um, it, it's a, it's, um, it's not fierceness in battle over animals necessarily. Although I guess they would be proud of that. If they killed a bear or something, they'd probably wear the, the teeth or whatever, or the, uh, not the teeth, the, the, the claws, you know, but, um, different tribes had different practices. I'm actually reading a book called Indians of Texas. So I'm, I'm on oh, the really? part of East Texas. I'm, I'm on the East Texas Indians. It's very interesting. It includes prehistoric stuff. And oh, that's cool. the, the prehistoric stuff is, is really interesting because we, we, it's hard. I don't know how people know anything about it. It's there's no records left. So it seems like it's pretty, it, it, there's a lot of guessing about, how certain tribes came about and which tribes mixed with other tribes and which tribes forced other tribes out and stuff. It's pretty hairy, hairy stuff. But this guy in the seminary, I mean, like, well, real quick, I was going to tell you that I'm, I'm ninth generation Texan and generation. Jeez. My, uh, ancestor was, um, he was living maybe close to, Illinois or something like that. And he was commissioned by Santa Anna um, to come down and, and try to make a settlement 
there in order to uh, take control of the Comanche Indians. <laughs> and good luck. There is a story about him going through the East Texas woods, and he has the scouts in front of in front. He's he's right behind the scouts, and then he's got his wagon with his family, including um, my ancestor who was about four at the time, wow. and then um, uh, behind him had the cattle and the cattlemen. And so the Indians came through because East Texas is very densely forced. It's almost like um, jungle. Um, you can't even see through right. the trees. And they came out and they scalped the scouts. And while they were fighting the scouts, my ancestor, um, Goldsby Childers, he ran back to the, to the wagon, hid his family in the woods. And then they had also attacked the cattle but for some reason, they they thought that the wagon was loaded with ammunition, so they didn't go any further. They just got the scouts and the cattlemen and some of the cattle, but they left the the wagon alone. But he uh, received land from Santa Ana down by um, close to Austin, I think, and he was there to try to develop a settlement there um, and of you know. For, for you know right europeans english yeah and uh he lost two sons um to indians but he would always try to like invite them over for dinner and he would go over for dinner but sometimes you know they were in conflict mm -hmm. so yeah it's interesting that you're reading about that it's fascinating to me it's just fascinating to me i mean i just try to take it in and try to take in I, I, I'm constantly, when I have the energy and time to do it, uh, poking into different chapter. I try, I try to read it all the way through. I don't, I don't skip around, but I read the, the chapter on the Comanche. Uh, there's one on Apache too. And it's, it gets kind of complicated because some of these tribes are so huge. And then there's tribes within the tribes. Mm -hmm. And then there's, there's theories that anthropologists have put together about that you know different phases like for example when they got horses like horses changed everything yeah um and then you're like oh yeah what how did they do everything without horses like how 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 do you hunt buffalo without horses i mean it's just fundamental change in plains indians um you know the ones that that mastered the horse first they were better in war right um and um Comanche was, they grew really a lot because they, they absorbed other tribes. Um, and, um, they, uh, they made war on, um, the Indians that, uh, didn't move around like the Pueblo, the Pueblo had, had horses first, I think. And the Pueblo, <laughs> it, it, you know, it's funny. Cause if you're an Indian, you don't think in terms of forts, you don't think in terms of like, um, that takes a lot of energy and time and thought and reflection. I mean, if you're just trying to survive, you probably don't have that. So, right. you know, those tribes would just get wiped out. Yeah. You, you have know? to go where the food is. And there's no, there's no record of it. And unless somebody happened to write it down and they heard it from somebody, how did you hear this story about your ancestor? Is that written down somewhere? Uh, my uncle is really into uh, genealogy 
And so we've been able to trace back to this ancestor, Goldsby Childers. We've actually wow. been able to trace back all the way to the Revolutionary War. Wow. Uh, but um, rough stuff, man. It is. There's rough country back then, too. Yeah, the, the lumber issue that you mentioned, you know, lumber was the number one commodity of Texas before oil. Wow. I and it's know. all because of East Texas. A lot of people yeah. don't know that. Because if you go to West Texas, I'm familiar with West Texas because I lived there for a little while. And then and when I was in the military. Um, and all you got to scrub. Just out in the middle of nowhere. Holy cow. It's flat tornadoes. Did you guys have tornadoes? We did. Yeah. I mean, there were times that when sucks. I would have to go. And uh, I remember my mother's office had a uh, vault. And we would go into the vault. Oh, wow. To ride out the tornadoes. Yucky. Were you scared? Oh, yeah. I was constantly scared as a kid. I would lay awake at nights wondering, okay, how would I, how am I going to, the tornado came, what am I going to do? Um, where would be the safest place to go? You're thinking of that as a kid. Yeah. And you said you're constantly scared as a kid. Right. Was it just tornadoes? Pretty much. Yeah. Okay. All right. You weren't scared of anything else? Um, not nothing. Besides comes Daisy to, dying? Besides Daisy dying, no. I mean, I uh I don't remember having a lot of fear. Were you scared of snakes? Uh, um I was, but not enough to keep me from stomping through the woods. I guess I kind of thought, well, they're never going to bother me. I mean, I huh. never, you know, I would never get on my, problem. I, I would get on my bike and I would go explore the woods and the rivers and the streams. I actually swam in crocodile infested ponds. And, you know, I never saw a crocodile. I never saw a snake. And so I guess I just kind of, I just kind of thought, well, they're not going to bother me. Um, you know, I just had this false sense of security that, oh, hey, they're not going to bother me. Hmm. So the sky is really the issue. The sky, the tornado, the tornado yes. is the issue. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's interesting. Oh, man, I don't know how you dealt with it. So that must have been cool, though. I mean, as a kid, having all that wilderness um yeah sounds awesome to me yeah i mean i often say that um i'm homesick for a place that doesn't exist anymore um i can go back home and it's still the same you know i can i took my kids to um the creek that i used to play in and where i would find these rocks and in these small rocks you know, they'd be round and they'd be hollow and you'd break them open and it would be full of colored sand. And this is what some Indians would use with water to mix together and uh, use it as war paint or paint for their faces. And so I took, I would go out there and I would, you know, do that and play in the creeks and all of that. So, you know, I'm able to take my kids there, but you know, I, I can still go back to my dad's house and, you know, there's, um, you know, cable TV, satellite TV, there's um, 
cell phones, you know, there's um, internet. And so it's not as a quiet of a place of a world that it used to be. Mm. And so I, I often say that I'm homesick for a world that doesn't exist anymore. I very much relate to that. I feel that all the time. Yeah. The, the summers there are pretty hot. They are. Yeah. What's that like? Are you playing outside still, even in the hot? I, I would. Yeah. I mean, I might not now because I've lived, you know, in Colorado and Michigan, but, um, you know, the, 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 it's the humidity. Humidity. Yep. That's right. So that's what's hard to deal with is the humidity, but. And the bugs too. There's a lot of bugs, right? There's a lot of bugs and they like me because my blood type, I think is attractive to Uh, mosquitoes, but, um, but I never noticed it as a kid. I would still play, go outside and play. There's something about the sound though. You know what I'm talking about? The sound of summer, the bugs, the birds, right? There is a sound to it. And especially right at twilight. Yes. And if you're sitting on my dad's, if I'm sitting on my dad's uh, uh, back deck, I can look out into the neighboring property and it's all jungle and all wow. in that jungle are, you know, all kinds of insects and birds and they're mm-hmm. all singing their own song. And then mm-hmm. the, the uh, lightning bugs, the fireflies have come back for years they were gone and nobody knew where they went. Um, but the fireflies are lighting up the jungle and, um, it's just home. And I love that. I love that place. That's awesome. So Dr. Haley, Gray Scott, why did you ever leave Texas? Um, I wanted to break out of a small town. Um, I didn't want to stay in a small town. I had spent my life, uh, you know, in the country reading books and had a very wide view of the world. (laughs) Um, And I wanted, I wanted to see things. I, you know, I'm curious. Uh, (laughs) That's the name of my show. Um, Christian curious. I'm curious about the world. I wanted to experience different places. So, um, you know, I moved to Dallas. I, um, I actually had a full scholarship to a school in Louisiana based on my writings. And I turned it down because I wanted to live in the city. Hmm. And then I met a guy who grew up in LA and his (laughs) dad was a professor at Azusa Pacific. And we, a year after we married, um, we left for Los Angeles. I got my master's degree there. I got my PhD there. So I spent um, almost 10 years in Los Angeles and spent my twenties there. And I, I really appreciated that experience. And are you married to that same guy now? I am 21 years. That's awesome. You guys met in Dallas. We did. Okay. And so he dragged you out to LA. <laughs> that would be what my dad would tell you. Yes. 
My dad was not happy. What went down in LA? Um, nothing went down. I mean, I had to learn really quickly about safety. I mean, mm-hmm. I had never seen, I had barely seen a fist fight in my whole life. Mm-hmm. I'd actually seen one fist fight. And that was when my boyfriend at the time uh, beat up another guy during a basketball game because he had um, said something disrespectful about the wife of his, one of his friends. So he just beat him up. And that was That'll the only, that was the only fist fight I've ever seen. And my husband has been shot at. He lived through the Rodney King riots. He was left for dead by a gang and uh, during the Rose parade. This is um, your husband. Yes. And so I had to learn really quickly, like all the rules, you know, of Los Angeles of like what streets not to go on. And um, it took him a while to even let me drive. I mean, that sounds very controlling, but he wanted me to be really safe. And so what did his dad teach at APU? He was the chair of the, um, the theology and ethics department. And he taught primarily ethics. So your husband has a dad who is conversant in the Christian tradition ethics and stuff. Yes. Did that ever filter down to your husband? I guess he know. Sorry, um, sorry to talk about your husband. No, no problem. Sometimes, I mean, you know, he. He is a uh, therapist, sexual addiction, and he likes to integrate a lot of Christian theology and ethics into his practice, which, you know, he has a different approach to helping men who struggle with sexual addiction um, than other practitioners because of his interest in, you know, the works of like, you know, Bonhoeffer and, um, mainly Bonhoeffer is like his really big inspiration. I'm sure he could tell you others, but I mostly hear him talk about Bonhoeffer. Oh, and Kierkegaard. Kierkegaard. Okay. And, um, you have, uh, you have a background an academic background. You want to go into that? You have a PhD. You have, yeah, I, I'm I assuming do. you have a bachelor's degree. <laughs> I do. I have a bachelor's degree at, um, in language and composition. I first started in literature and then I thought maybe language and composition might be more useful to me. So I switched and then, um, uh, so basically writing is my mm-hmm. BA and then my MA is in the, uh, in it's in religion with a specialization in theology and ethics. And then I have, I went and got a PhD in leadership and spiritual formation. And are these all at the same institution? No, I got my uh, B. I got my MA, my BA at University of North Texas in the in Denton, Texas, and then I oh. got my MA at Azusa Pacific, and then I got my PhD at Biola Talbot School of Theology. I've heard of that school. Yes. I've heard, I've heard, I've heard some things about that school. That's in La Merida, I think. La Merida. La Merida. La Merida. Okay. Gotcha. 
Well, uh, UNT Denton. <laughs> I think I've been on that campus. Oh, you know what? We had a we had an, another guest on this podcast uh, that that does work on that campus, and we're trying to get one of the guy, the one of the professors on. I believe that's the story. Anyway, yeah, we have a guy that does apologetics on that campus. We had him on. He works for Toyota. He's pretty high up in Toyota. I asked him what he did for Toyota. I said, well, first of all, Toyota, you mean the Toyota? He said, yeah, the Toyota. And I said, uh, what, what, what was your job? And he said, advertising. And I said, okay, well, what? And he said, no, I was head of advertising. And oh. I said, for Toyota. He said, yeah. Wow. So I was like, okay. And he's, right. he's on my podcast. <laughs> so anyway, he's a Christian. So well, yeah. you know, UNT was really hard. Um, you know, I came into when I was in college, I was in, I came in as an atheist and then I became an agnostic. And I think mm-hmm. if I had gone to a Christian school, I probably would have remained an atheist and agnostic because I'm a contrarian. Wow. Mm-hmm. And, um, no, you're not. <laughs> so, um, but at UNT, I became a Christian and when I became a Christian, oh my gosh, the hostility from professors was insane. Mm. Um, I refused to do an assignment once, um, uh, I had to read the assignment was to read the most sexually explicit novel you could find and then write about its portrayal of women. And then, so I, I refused to do it. And so they assigned me the color purple, which is just as, I mean, the color purple is a great book, but it's still uh, yeah. not a great book. It's for, got some rough parts in it. It's got some really rough parts. So they were really rough for me at the time because I was recovering um, myself from similar situations that are described in that book. Really? Wow. Yep. And we can go into that if you'd want. I've written about it, Washington Post. Yeah, let's let's do that. Do you mind if really briefly before we get to that? You you had uh, brought it up and I was going to get there. Was your background, your spiritual background growing up in Texas? Um, I was curious about how you were seeing the world as a kid, like those summer nights, looking at the fireflies, stomping around in the woods, looking at Daisy on your plate. What kind of view of God did you have? Did you, what kind of the view of the Bible? Did you pray? I did. Did you have a community around you, a faith community? I did not. Um, It's kind of a sad story but you know when I was a little girl my grandmother called me the preacher the preacher because I would always be citing scripture or telling some story about God and I was just in love with Jesus you know and I remember one time this you know I was in the elementary school uh, bathroom and some girl hit me across the face for some reason or another and I looked at her and I said hey hit me on this side And she looked at me because Jesus says, turn the other cheek, Mm -hmm. let him hit that one too. And, um, so, and she looked at me and she was so confused and she ran away 
from me because she was so she was so confused by my <laughs> reaction. But I loved Jesus. Um, but then I went to a Southern Baptist church where I saw a lot of hypocrisy among leaders, and those that hypocrisy really concerned me because they described themselves as appointed by God for that leadership position. And yet their lives were not consistent with the Jesus that I knew. And that really concerned me, you know, even, you know, as young as 10 or whatever. And um, then when my parents got divorced, it was a small town, everybody knew everybody, everybody was up in everybody's business. And they did not excommunicate us from the church, but they um, they ostracized us. And so like we would have people that would literally, we would come in and sit down for the service. They would get up and move. And I felt so rejected, even in my youth group. Um, it, had, it was similar and I had nothing to do with my parents' divorce. And so my dad ended up getting custody of us because my mother was um, not capable of caring for us. And it was my mother who had taken us to church. And my dad, uh, he was already tired of the hypocrisy. And so he never went to church. And so I was still, still believed in God all the way up until probably about, I was 19 years old when I started really doubting, um, I was, I was really angry with God more than anything, I think. And, you know, I think that that's why atheists are closer to God than agnostics, because atheism, you still have emotional connection. You have an emotional investment in the concept of God. But then when you're agnostic, you're like, eh, well, I don't know. And so right. it wasn't until I moved to agnosticism that I really moved away mm. from the faith. But the, I was very religious all the way up until about 19. Wow. That's very insightful. So you say you became a Christian at, at UNT Denton? I did. I was waiting tables at... Um, Applebee's and there was a hostess there and she just radiated this joy. And one day I asked her, I said, Jody, how come you are always so joyful? And the second I said it, I wanted to reel it back in because I knew what was coming. And she said, it's Jesus baby. And then she never stopped asking me to go to church. And so, you know, now, were you a customer or were you working there? I was working there. I was a waitress. I worked my way through college. Mm -hmm. You're a waitress at Applebee's. You're working with this lady. What was her name? Jody. Jody. What was mm -hmm. her social security number? Just kidding. <laughs> Make sure we get the right Jody here. So this Jody lady, is she older you than you? No, she was younger. Younger. Really? Wow. So this I'm younger lady, <clears throat> she's radiating joy mm -hmm. and you could tell it was real joy it wasn't fake right I could how could see you it. tell how could you tell it was real i could just see it um i feel like 
you know, when I was very young, um, I had this prayer. I had read the story of Solomon and how when Solomon, God asked Solomon, what, what do you want? And he said, mm-hmm. I'd like wisdom Yeah, and that pleased the Lord. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to make God happy. And so one of my consistent prayers when I was a little kid was wisdom. And <laughs> wow. I think he gave that to me and I think he let me keep it. Huh. Um, so that Unlike I like Solomon because <laughs> apparently he lost it somewhere. Not, if you read yeah, that story, I'm, I was not, a, I'm not as wise as Solomon was, but I could see, um, I could see God around her, you know, and mm. discernment is, uh, you know, I can still, you know, um, I, I still had a level of discernment, you know, even I knew where, where not to go. Um, and when to avoid, there are certain situations where, um, I probably would not, I might not have even survived, um, some situations cause I was, um, pretty much of a pretty wild, but wow. I, I just paid attention to, um, you know, what I felt in my spirit was going on. And so when Jody came along, I saw God, I saw joy, I saw um, freedom, and I wanted that. Do you keep in touch with Jody? I do. <laughs> That's mm-hmm. cool. I actually have written about her in both of my books, I think. Um, T- tell us about your books. What, bo- what books are you, do you have? We'll get to that Washington Post article. The first one is Dare Mighty Things. It's about Christian women leaders. And then the second one I just finished is um, um, right now, I believe we're going to go with the title, Not a Hopeless Case. It's about um, having hope, the, the hope that young, that young adults will come back to church and the questions that they have for the church and um how they're going to navigate, how we can navigate the 21st century without the church becoming obsolete, like so many statistics say it's going to, going to become. Hmm. What, what's the publisher of these books? Zondervan. Zondervan. That's a standard Christian publisher. Uh, we'll link those books up in the description of the, of the episode. Um, well, we'll also link your website, Christian Curious, and I'm going to have to get this Washington Post article. I've read it. Um, I don't have it on me right now. Um, I haven't looked at it in a while. Yeah. Um, but I do remember reading it. Uh, seems like it was a few years ago. What, when did that come out? It came out during the Me Too year. Um, I believe that. Um, have you heard of the church Two movement also church Two? No. Yeah. They it's a story of women coming out, being abused by pastors. And I was contacted by the editor of a wash of the Washington post about an article I'd written years before about my story of being sexually assaulted by a pastor. And, um, they ran it in the Washington post, 
um, in print and online. That's how I actually got my Apple watch. Um, but, um, that the, the, uh, it came out during the me too year. Okay. The, the, uh, original piece, where, where was that published? Christianity today. Okay. So they republished something from Christianity today. Right. Okay. Did you retain copyright or did you give that to them? I gave that to them. They paid you for it? They did. Okay. Just interesting to know how that would. So Christianity Today didn't retain copyright? No, they allowed publication as long as it ran in print. I don't know what the difference makes, but they couldn't run it just online. They had to run it in the print edition and the online edition. And it was one of the first stories, if not the first story of um, a case of sexual harassment by a pastor. Okay. And then what? after that came the, the flood. And I did work. I ended up that year um, was pretty traumatic for me because I was constantly writing um, articles about sexual editors wanted me to write case about cases in the media. And then I was also working with reporters um, for back on backstory. I was background information for a lot of stories on um, high profile Christian leaders mm -hmm. um, on cases they were breaking. Mm -hmm. And so it was part of my life for, for many months, for almost a year. And it was really like after Washington post reprint. Yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. What what year was the Christianity Today article? Published? I don't even remember. It was <laughs> it was ages ago. It feels like was uh, Carter president? Reagan? No, <laughs> I wasn't. Was I alive? Bush? I was alive during Carter. I'm just gonna Barely. keep going. Clinton. <laughs> um, it was uh, Bush too. Obama. It was Obama. Obama was president. Mm -hmm. All right. At least we nailed it down somewhere. Okay. Well, well, if I can find that Washington Pro Post, we'll link that. Uh, so you said it, it, uh, it went in the print one too. Mm -hmm. Did you get a copy of that? I did not. Oh man, you got to get a copy of it. Maybe it's too traumatic. I don't know. It's kind of a big deal though. So you want to tell us what that article said? Yeah, I Washington uh, Post isn't going to sue you now, right? They're not no, going to sue you for copyright infringement. No, <laughs> I uh, I was I get I got sober. I was I'd been I'd been a basically a pothead in in college. I didn't drink, didn't do any other drugs, um, but I did smoke pot as a way of self medicating my anxieties and. Um, insecurities. And I got sober on my 21st birthday. And um, I started going to church, threw myself heavily into it. And um, I was just really involved with the youth group and Bible study. And I was just on fire for God, for God once again. And 
I was put on the, the leadership team for the youth group. And as I got to know the pastor, um, I started seeing some weird th- things. So I would drive from Denton to his, uh, to the parsonage where he lived, which was midway between where we would all, the whole youth team would meet in Fort Worth. And, uh, I would leave my car there and I would ride. We would, uh, you know, uh, ride together to the meeting and he would play these, uh, tapes, um, or these voicemail messages of these young teenage girls who would say, oh, I miss you so much, and da-da-da-da-da, and, you know, just, he played them so often, almost every time that I saw him, he, he would play me these messages, listen to how this girl misses me, and they were former girls in his youth group, and uh, then I started noticing some weird behavior between him and two of the married women at the church that were mothers of kids in their youth group. And so what in one night we had gotten home, we'd gotten to the parsonage really late, like two o'clock in the morning. And he got a phone call from one of these women. And I knew that that woman's husband was out of town. And he said, uh, this is, you know, so-and-so I'm going over to her house. And then a week later, we were driving to another youth meeting and I confronted him and I told him, cause see, I'd had a lot of, I'd had a suspicion that he was having an affair with these women, but I felt like, oh, I'm the heathen pagan. He's the seminary student. I must be, you know, uh, putting myself on transference, you know, I must be transferring my own ideas in my own mentality onto him. But eventually I came to realize, no, he's having an affair. And so on the way to the youth group meeting, I told him, I said, look, Hey dude, I know you're having an affair with, um, these, these two women. And if you don't stop, I'm going to go to the senior pastor and to the board and let them know. So you better stop. And he denied it, denied it. And I'm like, there's no use denying it. I know, I know. So don't even try to like, and so finally he said, oh yeah, they're both in love with me. I don't know how to get rid of them, but I'll get rid of them. And, um, a week later, he shows up at my doorstep, you know, my apartment in Denton. And I was alone watching a movie. And he said, well, this woman, one of the married women keeps calling him and he keeps coming by the parsonage and he wanted to get away from her. So could he come in to my apartment to escape her for a while? And I let him in and he raped me. Uh, that night. And um, yeah, that was, you know, and what's crazy is I think of myself as a fighter. And so if you think of like, if anybody would have asked me if something like that would have happened, would you fight? I would say, absolutely. I'd fight. I'd be punching the guy's brains out, but I didn't, I froze. Mm -hmm. And so 
back then, you know, you didn't have the, the public discussion about the interactions about between what happens to, you know, trauma victims during the middle of trauma as a police reaction. You don't have a discussion about um, any of that. And so I was completely, I was just, I just, all I could do is lay there and cry, honestly. Yep. Yep. And that's what I did. And he got up and left. And the next day he was on a whirlwind tour preaching on this circuit, but he was calling me 30 to 40 times a day. And I was just beside myself. And I, so eventually I did go to the head pastor and the board. He got, he lost his job, got kicked out of seminary. Um, he had to leave, he left the state of Texas, but now he's a lead pastor in Georgia because I didn't press charges. Um, because I, I couldn't, I mean, I just, I, did you name him in the piece? No, I've never named him, but I do keep track of him to see if, other people raise uh, issues because he doesn't, you know, a person doesn't just do that one time. That's a habit. Yeah. And that is a personality. And so, right, right, right. You know, that's probably been, you know, the thing that I, I I wish I would have brought charges, but I didn't. Mm. but it would have been so it was traumatic enough. Sure. I mean, I couldn't even go through the doors of the, of a church for right. years without having a panic attack. Mm. Um, and I would try to talk to myself out of it. I would try to say, Haley, this is church. You're safe. You're safe. But I couldn't talk my body out of it. Right. You know? Yeah. And the it's best voluntary, the best thing, and you might, you will, might know a little bit about this, but the best um, way things that have helped me is reading stories of the PTSD from war vets and how they react to certain situations um, is exactly how I react to certain situations. Um, even today, I mean, the, the effect is muted a lot and I have a lot more um, confidence in myself and um but I still, I, the, the enduring gift of being raped is you have with you forever, a creep detector. So I can tell if a creep is around me, I can feel it. Um, and so, yeah, that's, that's always fun, but yeah, so that, and back then I thought I was the only one. And now I realize, yeah. whoa, I'm not the only one that has experienced abuse like this. And yeah. so it's been very helpful for me to, to think about how I can help other women move through the emotions of what it's like to be 
raped by a pastor and, um, or by, and by, by, or by a Christian leader. Um, it's extremely, extremely difficult thing to, to deal with is, but I did marry a very good man. Um, and you know, at that juncture, I had a decision. I said, okay, I had been an atheist, you know, I had only been a Christian for three months Wow. when this happened. And I'd only returned to Christianity for three months. And so I had a decision. Do I still believe there is a good God as he is revealed through the Bible, or do I not believe in him? Hmm. And what do I do at this point? And so I decided that I believed that I still believed in the God of the Bible. And so I said, okay, what do I do now? And so I said, well, I better orient my whole life so that I make sure that this kind of thing doesn't happen to other people as far as, as is, is possible. And so that's why I ended up studying leadership and spiritual formation as far as, you know, how do you create healthy leaders? What, are, what do healthy leaders look like? Um, and so that's been the enduring passion of my life is to, is to help the integrity of the church um, to build it back because we've lost a lot of credibility when it comes to, um, you know, the, you know, the behavior of Christians. Yeah. So that's the Washington. There's so many, there's so many layers to that. It's hard to know where to start or even if one should start. Um, but one to say the obvious is that, um, the, the, the fact that it's a, a spiritual leader that you looked up to, did you look up to him? Yeah, I did. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and, fact- he, and it's a religious leader. He's, 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 um, he's a conduit to the spiritual life, uh, Christ in Christ. Mm-hmm. Like he's, he's a conduit, a teacher about the true meaning of the world, you know, God created the world. And, uh, that, that layer there uh, on top of just the pure raw physicality of the attack, which would be traumatic for any, if it was anybody, right. The attacker, the, the fact that it's a religious spiritual conduit to God that this guy is somebody you looked up to is is an additional layer to that harm. The word harm seems to even fall flat. It seems like it's such a deeper thing than just harm, but um, just the uh, horror of that. And I don't know how you were able to pull it together after that. I totally understand why you didn't press charges. Totally get that. I mean, can imagine dealing with the the police department and just the, the, the way that they are, I mean, love the police, but 
you got the forms way they to fill out. Yeah, you got the forms to fill out. It's a criminal mm-hmm. investigation. Those are notoriously difficult to prosecute because it's he said, she said. If, if there's no physical evidence, right? Right. And who's in the mindset of preserving physical evidence after something right. like that? You're not thinking like a lawyer. You're not thinking like a prosecutor, right? You're you're just a normal girl, young lady. And you're, you're not, um, how long did it take you for, to tell somebody and how did you actually get the courage to go to the board? I mean, I'm impressed with that actually. How did you do that? Well, I was, well, he was calling me, you know, 40 times a day and he would say, um, you know, oh, I'm so sorry. It's just, you know, you were too beautiful or whatever, you know, something stupid. And so I went to that week, I went to one of the married women that he was having an affair with, who was my mentor. And I told her that, um, I didn't tell her I was raped. I, in fact, when we went to the board, we went to the board together and she confessed her infidelity And I just said, you know, this happened and I take full responsibility for it because he's not here to defend himself because that was sort of my personality. Um, It is. And I think it is much easier, um, at least for people like me, it's much easier to take responsibility for it than to actually admit that you are a victim. Yeah, And so it took me when I went to the board, I was taking responsibility for it Mm -hmm. and I was not uh, telling the full story and um, he still got fired, still got kicked out of seminary. And well, well, hold on a sec. So you, you, when you say you took responsibility for it, you mean you told them you were raped, right? No. Oh, you didn't tell them that. I said, okay, I misunderstood. There you, was intercourse. I see. Okay. I gotcha. Okay. And, but I didn't call it rape. I gotcha. Okay. I couldn't even say the word for 15 years. Well, I'm no therapist, but I know that trauma, a key part of trauma is a feeling of helplessness. And I did, I hate the, victim mentality yeah um, well taking responsibility is a way of gaining power right and that's what back. i was trying to do it's not healthy way but i can understand why you'd want to have some power back on that and it, and then, it, it did get you to say something about this guy mm-hmm. um i can understand that but then four months later i had been working at uh, a ministry in dallas And a friend of mine had noticed, you know, like my behaviors and, you know, the PTSD ticks that I had. And um, so she said, hey, let's let's go to dinner. And so we went to dinner and we were at this table overlooking a lake. And she said, I want you to tell me what happened. And she is the only person I've ever told the details of exactly what happened. And when I finished, she how said, long ago, how long after was, was that you told this person four months, four months. Okay. 
And she said, Haley, what happened to you was rape. And if you don't call it that, you're never going to get better. Hmm. And tell, tell me again who you told again. I mean, not maybe it was a co worker. Co worker. Wasn't Jody? No, it was a person. I worked at a ministry where there were a lot of um, uh, DTS students who were in counseling programs and things like that. And okay. uh, she's like, Haley, that's rape, and you're never going to be better you know, if, if you don't call it that you're not calling it by what it is. Wow. And it still took me 15 and still, I, I accepted in my heart that I was a victim. Um, but I still, it took me 15 years to say the word rape. She said it, but you didn't say it. She nope. said it. Okay. Mm-mm. You told but, her all the details. You didn't use the word, but she took those details and said, this is the word. Right. And, and it was too painful for you to use that term. Was it, yep. would you say it was painful or was it uh, just power, make you feel powerless to say it? I would think it would be both of those. Um, but mostly it was just too painful. Okay. The word painful is not even the word. I I like your other word better. It was horrific. It was a horrific word to use word to use. Yeah. Or, yeah. Um, and back then you just didn't, people just didn't understand it like they do now because the awareness wasn't there and thank God we have the awareness now, but, um, the awareness wasn't there back then. And so, Hmm. um, you know, I did. Why do you think that was? Well, we just didn't talk about rape and we, that wasn't part of the national conversation. Um, We had a lot of doubt on behalf of the victims. Um, We had a lot of judgment on women. Like, did they deserve it? Did they, uh, what did they do? You know, did they not fight enough or, you know, there, there's just so many, levels of doubt that you have to push through as a rape victim, even today, but especially back then. But, you know, now that we have moved through the me too year, um, I do believe that there is a raised awareness of the psychology of rape. And, um, you know, in my article, I'll talk about the neurobiology of assault and what happens during in your brain during assault and how your brain processes it and how, um, you know, you never know exactly how you're going to react. I mean, you can't predict it until you're actually in that situation because I would have told you I was a fighter, Mm -hmm. but I didn't, I was so shocked and that I froze and just cried and, And I said, no, but I didn't like kick him in the, you know, whatever, but well, you were in a state of, uh, your nervous system state was probably freeze. Right. I froze freeze. Yeah. So yeah, that's that's when it's fight or flight. I learned this from Sarah Jackson, by the way, 
who's one of our colleagues. Actually, her name is Sarah Jackson Panther now. She's married now. She goes by Sarah Jackson Coaching on Instagram. She has a... I think I know her. I think Is she a runner? Yeah. Yeah. Yes, she, I know her. She, 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 we, we, the way I know you is how I know her. We were writing colleagues together. That's at a different probably. nonprofit. Yeah, at, yeah. At a different nonprofit a while ago. I've known you for what, 10 years over mm-hmm. something like that, over 10 years, probably. Anyway, Sarah was, she's got this, she w- was chronically ill. It's a different issue. She went through, uh, PTSD in a, in a different way with chronic invisible illness that was diet, tried to get diagnosed for years and no one could figure out what it was. And it would put her in bed for six years after she had been an athlete. Right. And remember like, running like a down star the athlete. Yeah. Yeah. She would, it's, it's her last name Panther is actually pretty apt because she <laughs> runs fast. Oh, oh my gosh. Okay. Wow, I remember her running down the streets of Glendora and I was watching her thinking, wow, I can climb mountains and I can run marathons slow, but I can't do that. So that's the same girl. She went to APU. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's right. So uh, anyway, she's got this toolkit called restore and it's about recovering the nervous system from whatever source of trauma of course it doesn't replace therapy psychotherapy it doesn't does not replace spiritual community friendship like you had a really good friend mm-hmm. but it, it you know i just learned about the dorsal vagal shutdown and what fight or flight is and kind of what you were saying about what happens during an assault like you went through the neurobiology of that so she talked yeah. about that a lot and so that's why I know it was a state of freeze. And I didn't know this until recently where a state of freeze is fight or flight. Your, your body's creating all this energy and that gets locked in the body as trauma. And it, that's right. why the body remembers, you know, that book and, you know, there's, there's, um, but then freeze is when you're generating that energy, but you can't move. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like, it's, it's really hard on your nervous system. Sorry, just <laughs> yeah. sharing a little bit of the stuff I've been learning recently. Because I, I I had similar kind of uh, feelings of fight or flight and on a low grade fight or flight, uh, low grade stuff like that for years on the college campuses. And I had to figure out what the hell was going on with my nervous system. So, yeah, that's, that's interesting stuff. I can totally get it. I mean, so I was going to ask you the Me Too movement. I think that was, what is that, 2018, 2017? I can't remember. 17, 18. 17, 18. Okay. Do you think that was a good thing, the Me Too movement then? I think overall it was good. Of course, you know, I'm always a person that likes to avoid extremes. I think it can go too far. Um, and I think there were points where it went too far, but overall, I mean, it uncovered a lot of things that need to needed to be uncovered and people are a lot more sensitive today about these issues and women feel a lot more freedom to be open about their experiences. Um, 
So they're not afraid to be disbelieved. They're not afraid, you know, to, um, to speak out about, you know, the things that have happened to them. Yeah. I mean, you, I think of you as a very successful person. I think of you as, um, you know, you went to grad school, you got her PhD, you've written some books, you're, you're a successful writer. Um, you, you, you seem like you've had, um, some healing from this. Would you say that's true? Oh yeah, I, uh, absolutely. And a lot of that's been, how's the healing you know, through, take place? Um, my relationship with God, my relationship with my husband, who, you know, I have a stable marriage. Um, I have made choices that I've tried to make choice. I mean, it's not that my life is completely unaffected by it because it is, but um, I have definitely been healed from it. I still, I still, have, like I said, the, the enduring mark is that creep detector. And so <laughs> I can still get very uncomfortable around. How often does that go off? Um, maybe In just, other words, how many creeps are there around? I mean, is it you all know, going once off all every, the time? Once every few months, maybe, um, I'm not really around a lot of, well, you know, when I'm, there were a couple of pastors in the, in the, uh, the initiative that I ran that I thought these guys are creeps. And I would even say to my students, cause I'm so blunt. I had my research team and I'm like, this, these guys are creeps. And then my students were like, there's they're grad students. Right. And they're thinking, Oh my gosh, she is so I don't know what to think about her, you know, why she's calling them creeps. And um, they were the people that I called creeps were the people that ended up having to be um, in some form kicked out of the initiative because of sexual immorality. And then the students were like, oh, my gosh, are you like psychic? You've been calling these guys the creep forever and i'm like yeah yeah it's funny well that's not funny but it's funny it's interesting wow so it's a real thing <laughs> it is one fourth of the churches one fourth of the churches in our study had wow. a pastor who um had some form of sexual immorality issue where was that did you publish that study um i wrote about it in the upcoming book that I have. Um, Tell us the name of that book again. The upcoming it's, one. Um, not a hopeless case. Yeah. And it's in right now. It's in my editor's hands, and he's going to give there it a back. website for it yet. Not yet. Okay. Um, All right. It's still very, very young. I think it's hopefully going to be published early 2023, spring 2023. But it took me a long time to get there because I had 10,000 pages of data wow. that I had to go by, through by myself to, you know, distill into a book. Tell us about your writing process. What's your, 
Are you a morning person? You get up early? You uh, um, have coffee? I don't. I, I usually do do? get up and take care of the kids. I'll read the news. Not the greatest plan. What and time then, do you get up? Do you mind? Uh, no, I get up about seven. Okay. Read the news? I do. You read a newspaper? Like the actual newspaper? No, not the newspaper, but well, online newspapers. Well, I have to ask because you're joining us from, where are you joining us from? If you don't mind. Um, Littleton, Colorado. My hometown. Yes. And so it's so Ken funny. Carol, I, to be specific. <laughs> that, that's funny. That's hilarious because, okay, well. I, the only little anecdote I was going to share was that, first of all, I love that area. It's, it's, it's home to me. Secondly, it's, uh, I had a newspaper route growing up. Oh, did you? Yeah. And so I took great pride. Okay. Haley mm -hmm. in making sure the paper got on the porch without hitting, you know, and waking everybody up, bam, you know, in the snow too, every right. day. So that's why I had to ask you if you read a newspaper, because I, I can picture where you're living and that's the kind of area I was delivering the newspapers. In. Oh, that's so fun. Early your street it wasn't your street. I'm sure. But, but yeah, pretty close. So <laughs> yeah. So, Ken yeah. Carroll. Yeah. Uh, corner of, I live on the Ken, corner of Ken Carroll and Sims. Right across from Chatfield High School. Yeah, I know that high school pretty well. I've been in that high school before. You know, my newspaper route was in Columbine Knowles. Do you know where that is? Okay. Columbine I've, Knowles. I've passed it. I know of it, but I haven't. I believe yeah. that's the name of the, the neighborhood. I didn't really pay attention to that kind of stuff as a kid, but, you know, you don't think of neighborhoods have names. You just, mm -hmm. you just turn into a street, you know, I think adults right. think that way, but I, as a kid, I don't remember thinking that way, but anyway, yeah, it's a, you know, it's off of Wadsworth and coal mine. You turn in okay. there, there's a, there's a unit, there's a church of Christ on the street there. Yes. I know that on the, it's on a kind of on a hillish kind of a right thing. past the golf course. So there's a, there's a church of Christ that, that, opens into that neighborhood that's where i had my my paper route mm, I, I had to drive walking. i had to drive into the paper route you know and yeah so that's my uh, walk and running route every day it's nice oh yeah it's a great neighborhood and your neighborhood too is um well there's a safeway near you there's a there's a there used to be a cj's coffee and okay. i did a lot of greek studying when i was in, in denver seminary there the greek study Right, there's right a, there's a king supers right there on that corner yes uh king supers that cj's coffee is now i believe a nail salon if you can believe okay. that it's right next to the subway the subway there's a first bank there's mm -hmm. a subway right next to that was cj's coffees for a long time great coffee and i'm not allowed to say the name of my wife on this podcast but that's where we met was at CJ's coffee the first time. Oh, cool. She worked there. And, um, so she, she went to bear Creek, but I went to Chatfield, but her parents lived in Ken Curl. 
so that okay. it's kind of like anyway so it's kind of funny i thought i would share that with you yeah i love this area i do it's beautiful where do you, where do you shop for your groceries um you'd go to that king supers i do go to the king supers mostly i'll share um, another anecdote I, I worked at king supers when i was oh did 16. you yep but not that one i worked at a different one but yeah well now this is an up-and-coming area and but also you know it's more and more violence coming over here and i'm like we left los angeles and now los angeles is coming to us hmm. so you know right over by southwest plaza there was a shooting yesterday hmm. and a road rage incident and so i'm like oh my god and people are breaking into cars constantly and it's just hmm. a mess is it drugs they looking for a quick score for drugs for cash? I have no idea. I don't know. Must be drugs. It it it's must gotta be, be. It's got to be some. There's some kind of thing that's behind that. That's sad. That's really sad. Even in Ken Carl, there's break-ins. Um, I haven't heard much about Ken Carl or my neighborhood Ken specifically. Carl's kind of a swanky area for those of you listening who don't have any idea what we're talking about anymore. It's a nice area. <laughs> Yeah, it's right up by the hogbacks. And for <laughs> yep. those of you who don't know what the hogback is, the hogback is where when the Rocky Mountains were formed, that they pushed up plates of the earth that look like these little short mountains that are very that have very sharp tops. So they mm -hmm. kind of look like the back of a hog. Yeah. And so it's the very first ridge in the Rocky Mountains. And you're nestled right there right there and right there i used to go with my buddy my buddies uh senior year of high school mainly a junior senior year we would go up and right as we were graduating high school that last year go up on the hogback and watch the sun come up and oh that'd be cool and, and we did it in 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 winter we love doing it in winter for some reason i don't know why well because We'd the like rattlesnake terrible in the summer yeah i don't think that that's true that's definitely true there's some big snakes the biggest rattlesnake i ever saw was out there but um yeah um but yeah we used to go up there watch the sunrise and uh bring some coffee up there and we've got some pictures somewhere i might probably have them on facebook somewhere but yeah the it, it, it's a great area um, the deer we used to chase the deer on the, on that bit, on the golf course by, by, oh, yeah. mm -hmm. they don't want you riding your bike on the golf course, but did that stop me? No, no. It didn't stop me. Just chasing those deer. It's faster than running. doesn't seem to work. Yeah. So man, you're really taking me back. Holy cow. I run through the golf course sometimes too. Yeah. When I can get away with it. It's fun. It's a good, it's a nice little, it's a nice area. You know, we had a lot of fun times. See, you, you were talking about your Texas childhood. Mm -hmm. Well, that's my childhood right there running around, yeah. hanging, you know, and then toward the end when I, 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 I joined the Navy at the Southwest Plaza. Oh, did you? Well, right across the street from Southwest Plaza is a, is a, a strip mall there's a there's an armed force recruiting station there it's still there it's not in the same location but it's it's in that same strip mall 
Mm-hmm. That's where I joined the Navy when I was in senior in high school. And um, I think my sister worked in that Southwest Plaza for a while. <laughs> mm-hmm. But you know, I remember I lived there before Southwest Plaza existed. When we first moved in there, I lived in the same house growing up. And that that area was all horses. There was there was no Southwest Plaza. It was just horses. Nice. And, and then I remember, remember when the big mall came in, it was every, it was the big talk, you know, and then, uh, we, we saw karate kid come out in 1984 and gremlins. I saw gremlins in the, in the, the, uh, movie theater there. I don't think they have a movie theater in Southwest Plaza anymore, but anyway, gosh, you're really taking me back Haley. This is just going to be just me droning on about my sadness <laughs> of how my childhood is gone. <laughs> you know, you, you like empirical research, you like data, you like statistics and stuff like I that. I do. I you're, do. You're that kind of a person. Seems like a lot of work. You like it, survey research. Um, survey research is not so difficult. Um, qualitative research is, um, mm-hmm. because you're gathering stories and you're finding themes in those stories but it's much more engaging and it gives you much more nuanced detail than what you would just get through a survey. Um, And that's one of the things that is missing, I think, in the Christian world is a lot. uh, There's not a lot of Christian researchers. Um, There's a few big guys that have the corner on the market, but there's not a lot of people who are trained on the PhD level to to conduct research, you know, on the church. Um, so you might have therapists that go to Christian colleges that are trained in research, but they're going to be focused on neuroses and things like that. Right. Um, They're not necessarily going to be looking at, at issues related to the church. And so, and so you'd say that's a description of what you do. You're, you research the church. I do. Mm-hmm. research the church okay do you have an institutional perch from which you can do this research like um or do you have any support how do you do it I, um i'm funded by the lily grant by the lily endowment is that enough to pay your bills if you don't mind oh yeah um i am you know the the grant is a substantial grant and it does you know provide me a very comfortable salary um and i'm able to conduct research still so you know the first 5 years was a 1.5 million dollar grant the second 5 years has been 1.25 million um but then I had a rollover of about a quarter of a million dollars. So it's another 1.5 million basically that I have to continue the research for the next five years. And I'll be expanding from Denver to also Washington DC. And there, there are really four pillars to the research or to the, to the project. That's the, you know, the radio show and podcast, Christian Curious. Um, you know, address trying to um, change Christian radio change 
and address some more questions in, you know, in the Christian world than, than what you might typically find. So I will, you know, talk about issues like, I think in July, I'm not sure. I think it might be July. I'm talking about sexuality. So I'm addressing questions that young adults have like, you know, what, um, how is pornography bad for you? Why is it bad to have premarital sex? Um, what kind of damage did the evangelical purity culture do? Um, what does healthy sexuality look like? Um, I've had black lives matter people on my show. I've had, you know, the kinds of topics that you don't traditionally hear on Christian radio. Um, and also as, you know, the director of the radio station, told me, even though I feel very old at 44, he said, you're very young compared to everybody else on this station, on any of these radios, uh, stations. And you're also a female, which, (laughs) you know, all the other females are in their seventies or their eighties. So it's, it's very different. And, you know, my producer is a young adult. She's um, dyed hair, nose ring, you know, kind of hip person. And, um, yeah, so that's the main part is trying to address the questions that young adults have about Christianity. And some of the big questions that we need to deal with in the 21st century, if we are going to successfully navigate as a church, we need to adapt pretty quickly to the changing environment because the world is changing so fast. And so a lot of the money is going into that. And then um, the idea is that they're sponsoring, you know, me, and then I will build, you know, hopefully get more sponsors to come alongside and help me expand um, the reach of the program. And then, you know, especially in the podcast area, the podcast is really where I think the growth can happen because podcasts are so easily accessible. And then, um, the second pillar that, um, I've been working on is the, uh, research component where I'm coming alongside still exploring how, young, you know, churches are ministering to young adults, especially after the pandemic. So I'll be, you know, working with churches in the Denver Metro and in Washington, DC, um, to see about the challenges and the struggles of both pastors and young adults. And how'd you pick those two cities? Um, Denver seminary is my, uh, launch pad for, you know, that's who I got the Lilly endowment through. Um, and yeah, I think you have. And um, so Denver Seminary, they have a campus here in Littleton and they have a campus in Washington, D.C. Oh, I didn't know that. So they do. They have a new campus in D.C. And um, so I'll be going out there and, you know, you know, flying periodically out there to um, do research and. I'll be hiring some staff out there. And then the third component is education to a two-way educational model where I'm looking into innovative techniques for education, like maybe microcasts, which are 
short either podcast or short videos that instruct young adults in the matters of, you know, um, leadership, spiritual formation, Bible, theology, and life skills. And also there has been a need, you know, expressed to me from, you know, Christian leaders that they want education as well as what is happening on the ground. Because, you know, the realities of what is happening in our country, in our world are changing so fast that um, in order for them to stay on top, you know, you know, being good leaders, being good professors, being good educators, they need to know what what the people are going to actually be dealing with when they go out and do ministry. So that two way educational model is the third pillar. And then the fourth pillar is uh, collaboration, trying to help build communities of collaboration between churches um, rather than moving from a competition model that was pretty dominant in the 1990s, uh, 1980s um, to a collaborative idea where, you know, we're a united body. You know, that was one of the prayer of Christ is, you know, we are one, we are one, you know, I pray to God that they are one, um, you know, they will know that you're from, from me by your, the love that you have for one another. I mean, there's so much indication that the heart of Christ was set on unity. And if we can demonstrate that unity, that is actually a really compelling witness for people who are non-believers. Mm-hmm. So that's uh, really the, what I'll how, be working on for the next four how years. How long did it take you to to uh, write all that up and, and present it to Lily. How did you figure out how to do that? How do you, did you have the grant writing skills um, from um, birth or how did you? <laughs> I actually don't, I could not write the grant. Um, it's funny because uh, the Lily foundation said, you know, I described to them my vision, which is what I just described to you, what I wanted to do just through email or just cold call them from like a payphone. No, outside of, uh, outside of no, I had already had a relationship with the Lily people from the first grant and they actually informed Denver Seminary. Can you please help Haley write a grant? Because she's got great ideas, but she doesn't know how to write a grant. So how did you get the first one, though? How did you get that initial? They got, you know, someone else wrote the grant the, for the first grant and I was oh. hired and when I was hired, they said, here's $1.5 million, go build something. And, and so does that go I, into your bank account or how does that work? No, it like, goes, you... in, it, the Denver seminary keeps it. And, you know, I have a card, you, you know, trust that Denver I can... seminary to keep 1.5 million for you. <laughs> well, it's not my money anyway. So, but don't you think that Don Payne would probably go over there with his like the ATM card, just get, grab a 20 really quick. <laughs> he might for some subway. He's my boss. Know. Oh, is it right? I didn't know that. He was one yeah. of my professors. He's my boss. He's the one I report to. He's, he's the, uh, um, that's so funny. I did. I had no idea that was, he was your boss. I just, he was like the first guy I thought of from Denver seminary. His deep that's funny. voice. His deep voice. Yeah. He was my teaching practicum professor, spiritual formation professor. Yeah. He's from West Texas. So his accent yeah, is different than that's mine. Right. That's right. 
but only really? a little bit because my parents are from West Texas. Um. Anyway. Well, that's cool. My first connection with Denver Seminary is, I was in high school. I had a mentor who was um, a philosophy professor at Denver Seminary for over 40 years, Dr. Gordon R. Lewis. And mm -hmm. um, he retired in 1993 when I graduated from high school. And some young whippersnapper named Doug Grotice, no one could figure out how to say his last name back then, but, but he came and took his place. But the, the guy he took his place, he was my mentor. Dr. Oh. Gordon R. Lewis. And, and Grotice I, is a buddy of mine, and he has been on my show quite a lot. Oh, cool. Because um, we oh, have okay. a lot of fun discussing philosophical which book I'm using, right? <laughs> For this. Oh, stand. my gosh. I thought it looked familiar. Yeah. yeah he we, just, I, he we just recently, sent it to me. We really just did a show on, on that. His heart. Oh, so, yeah. Cool. That's awesome. Well, I'm, I'm really happy to hear that. That's so you have this interest in kids and you're also Phyllis, you're hanging out with philosophers. How does that work? You're like an empirical researcher and you're, you're hanging out with philosophers. Do you think that philosophers have something to say or help with these kids? Oh, sure. Yeah. I mean, yeah. and I do get a lot of good responses when he's on the show and that's good. In fact, um, I just had a young adult contact me and say, gosh, I love it when you interview uh, Dr. Grotice because the, he's got so much knowledge and you pick his brain so well and your conversations <laughs> are so fun. And um, I'm going to have to listen to those. I, I miss those somehow. So, yeah, he's been on the show quite a bit. And yeah, we have a lot of fun discussing, you know, technology. I mean, he's like really the only one I can talk about uh technology and the human soul with um, oh wow because he was writing you know, about that back in the 90s he was yeah yeah and soul and cyberspace is his book soul and, and now it's i remember like, when that came out i was like hmm i have no idea what this book is about <laughs> but now, now it's you just do. Like, yeah because you know people are trying to upload their consciousness to clouds and all kinds of stuff and yeah and then what does the soul mean in the metaverse? We did a show on the, on the soul in the metaverse. Wow. What a great idea. You are incredibly curious. Has your curiosity waned with time? Has it waned um, with trauma? It's not. Has your curiosity helped you heal from trauma? Um. I've never thought about that, but probably because I'm always looking for answers. I'm always yeah. looking for um, ways to, <laughs> I, I don't know if it's curiosity or my deviant behavior, because I can always find contextualize that for a way us, uh, out of something. I can usually find, huh? contextualize that for for us just so people don't misunderstand what you mean by deviant behavior um oh yes um just to I clarify what rebellious. you mean. so for example um walk down the abstraction the ladder give us a it, give us an example of what you mean do you the mean the funniest example that i can think of well number well as a teenager 
Um, everything was long distance because I lived in the country and I had my own telephone line because my mom worked for the telephone company and I ran up a phone bill of $200. And so my uncle who also worked for the telephone company came in and secretly, you know, they put in a timer on my phone. So it would shut off at like 10 o'clock at night. Well, I was talking to my friends at 10 o'clock at night and it shut off. And instead of asking my dad about it, I found the timer hidden in some obscure place in the garage and I turned it off. And then I continued to figure that out (laughs) because I'm determined and I'm, you you followed the phone line. That's what you did. No, I didn't. I just, I get, there was no line. It was just, I don't know how they did it, but. I just turned off the timer and then my dad, it took a month, of course, before he got the bill to figure out that I had turned off the timer. So then he moved the timer and I still found it again. Um, And then, you know, so that's an example of sort of my rebellious. I gotcha. I gotcha. And then also I would. So you're not stealing cars. You're not blowing. You didn't blow up the garage. You just. No. And I would take my daughter when she was two um, to feed the ducks. And I could tell that she was a rule follower, you know, pretty young. And I have this picture, my, one of my favorite pictures of her as a toddler, she's standing with a a hunk of bread and all of these ducks are around her. And then way, like way behind her is this sign that says, do not feed the ducks. And so that's a good example. That's, that's that's the kind of, that's the kind of rebellious, devious gotcha. behavior. So you're always looking for like a way around uh, <laughs> yeah. the rules. These unspoken rules. Mm-hmm. Are you, do you feel like you're making progress uh, that your work is going to make a difference and, and make the church healthier, which is your goal, right? Yes, I hope so. Um, yeah you know, ultimately that's not up to me. I mean, that's up to, um, God and, you know, the Calvinist, um, I am not a Calvinist. Okay. When you Uh, say it's up to God, what do you mean by that? Well, I do believe that he, um, is powerful, all powerful and mighty, but I don't believe that he, uh, I believe that he can, you know, if people turn to him, you know, that he will work and he can bring about sorts of revivals and things like that. And he has the power to act in any way that he wishes. Um, I just don't believe that he treats us like puppets. Yeah. Wow. What's your position at Denver Seminary, if you don't mind my asking? What's your title? I am called the creative director of the Young Adult Initiative. Cool. You're doing important work. You're an interesting person. We've covered so much in two hours. Uh, Some of it was pretty um, intense. Mm-hmm. I, for my, from my perspective, it was intense. Um, it's hard to know after you shared that one story about the Washington post story, 
yeah. where to go from that. Like I, I, I was, I have to confess, I was like, but I thought just, it was just a lovely time for me getting to know you more and better and just spending time with you and thank you seeing and my- who this person is that's doing this research folks who are listening she's really dedicated person here doing this kind of research um the the statistics on young involvement with church and what their beliefs are and what's there to support them is quite scary to me in my mind mm-hmm. because what's what's going to replace it What's going to replace a healthy church? Nihilism with some kind of version of uh, worship of government or, or leftist uh, harmful statism or something like that. So we need thoughtful people like Haley, I think, uh, leading the charge. How can people support you, pray for you, <laughs> reach out to you? Um, you can you. find me on my website at uh, www.christiancurious.com. And um, I would say just pray that, you know, the Lord for my own, I, I would say the biggest prayer that I have is that I would continue to grow in my relationship with God in order that I may be able to discern um, the paths that he wants me to follow and not go down any path that might be a distraction or, Mm. or something from, you know, what he wants me to do. You're daring mighty things, aren't you? I'm trying to, I love Teddy Roosevelt. That's a Teddy Roosevelt quote. What's that book about really quick? Dare Uh, mighty things, uh, female leaders, female Christian leaders. How'd you get that idea for that book? Um, I was just reading something by, I was reading it. I was reading something by Teddy Roosevelt. Um, I was reading, he says, um, uh, do not, I don't know the full quote by itself, but it's about um, don't fear the people in the stands that are critiquing you, basically, you know, be the person in the arena and, you know, far better it is to dare mighty things um, than it is to be someone that is just in the audience critiquing. How old are you when you read that quote for the first time? Uh, I was, oh, I was probably in my 20s. You're just randomly reading Teddy Roosevelt in your 20s? Yes. You know, he hunted big game in, in I know Africa to bring this full circle. I know he did, but you know, he also also established the national parks. That's true. He was thoughtful. He was a thoughtful guy. Well, he lost his mom and his wife on the same day. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. uh, He knew trauma. He did. He knew heartache. That's right. He was a very interesting man. That's for sure. I had a guy on the podcast a couple of weeks ago that wrote his doctoral dissertation on Teddy Roosevelt. We, we talked about that on the podcast. He's a retired Lieutenant Colonel in the air force taught at the air force Academy. Um, yeah, that's a, so you were reading TR, <laughs> we call mm-hmm. him TR in the political science world. TR is that that's good to, to distinguish him from FDR. So, which is the sixth cousin, I think. 
Um, well, uh, is there anything else you wanted to mention or talk about? No, I just want to thank you for having me on the show. Yeah. I wanted to have a relaxed pace and, and enjoy our time together. I, I certainly did. Um, I I've, I'm encouraged. I think that's the word I'm looking for is I'm encouraged after talking to you for two hours, because I've seen what you've gone through and um, I see who you're hanging out with over there and I can actually hear their voices and um, I can smell them. Well, actually I think Don wears deodorant now, so that might be a little different <laughs> for you than it was when I was going through, but um, and, and just, just a delightful person. And I love the idea of what you're doing, the work you're doing. I, I'm just incredibly impressed that you have this Lily endowment that you're so methodological and your curiosity and you're taking what God gave you as your curiosity, which I relate to because I'm very curious too. Um, and that you're using that to breathe life and bring healing to our culture. Yeah. Well, we thank all, we all owe you a debt of gratitude. Thank you. I appreciate that. All right, Haley, we'll take care. Take care. God bless. <laughs>